How many of you have ever read the Old Testament and it just confused the living daylights out of you? How many of you have ever been confused by the Old Testament? Raise your hand. My hand's up. All right. There are a lot of hands. If, if the Old Testament has never confused you, what that says to me is that you've never read it. All right, which is fine. I mean, no, no, you know, not knocking anybody. That's awesome that you're here. All right, but the Old Testament, man, there's a lot of stuff in there that's hard to understand. Here's a question that we're going to try to answer this morning and that you ought to ask when you read the Bible. Okay, here's a really good question we're going to try to spend some time with this morning. It's this How did Jesus and the early church read the Old Testament? Man, that's a really good question. Teenagers, young adults, whatever, listen, you ought, to, you ought to ask that question. How did Jesus and the early church read the Bible? Not that person you follow on YouTube says you can't trust the Bible, not your college professor. Listen, the Bible has been around longer than any of us, thousands of years. How did the people who were alive when it was originally written put together, how did they read it? That's a good question. You ought to spend some time with it. Today we're going to try to tackle this one. How did Jesus... And the early church read the Old Testament. So if you got a Bible open, I told you guys, we're going to do a lot of work here this morning. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, we're going to read all the way to chapter 4, verse 7. All right? If you're like, man, this doesn't make any sense, hang with us, we're coming back. All right? Verse 6, let's go. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written. Notice how he keeps saying that. For it is written. He's quoting the book of Genesis. Going back to the Old Testament a lot. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. 
Before the coming of this faith, we were held up in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that, is, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave, free, There's neither male, there, nor, there, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Verse 1, chapter 4. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no, longer different from a, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But... When the, t- when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Let's just call it a day and go home. All right? What in the world did we just read? Let's remind ourselves what's happening here. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. False teachers have come into this church. They've started to teach that you need to be saved by Jesus and circumcision, meaning you need to keep the Old Testament law. Probably the way they taught that in this church is they used Abraham as an example. Abraham, a big guy in the Old Testament. If you grew up in church, you learned the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons, and then it turns to the Christian hokey pokey and all that other stuff. right? So you know a little bit about Abraham. Well, circumcision began with Abraham. And so these people were probably saying, hey, listen, Abraham was saved by faith in God plus circumcision. And Paul comes along, and Paul uses the exact argument that the false teachers are using. But he says, no, listen, Abraham was not saved by keeping the law. Abraham was saved by faith the exact same way that everybody else was. See, so many times when we read the Old Testament, we put this hard division between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the Old Testament is all law. New Testament is all grace. You guys ever heard stuff like this before, right? Old Testament, God's angry. New Testament, God's lightened up a little bit. He's all love. And we put this hard division between the Old Testament and New Testament. You got to keep this in mind, though. If you're taking notes, remember, remember this. The Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus and the apostles had. You, you know they didn't have the New Testament, right? It was still being written, right? That, they, they didn't have the New Testament yet. All they had was the Old Testament. And here's what's clear. It's clear from the New Testament, especially what we just read, we're going to dive in. It's clear from the New Testament that the way Jesus and the apostles read the Old Testament, they saw that all of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and was fulfilled in Jesus. So here's a couple things for us to know this morning before we really dig into some things. The Bible is not a bunch of disconnected stories. It's really one story. The Bible's not a bunch of disconnected stories. You know, I got a story about Abraham over here, Moses over here, David and Goliath over here. No, 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 no. 
all those stories are one story. Telling us about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would have life and never perish. All right? The Bible's not a bunch of disconnected stories. It's one story. And the lens to read your Old Testament through is Jesus. Let's say that again. That's a big one. The lens to read your Old Testament through, doesn't matter what it is, Leviticus. Read the book of Leviticus through the lens of Jesus. So if, you, if, you've ever, uh, if you've ever used uh, GPS, my family, we just got back from vacation. We used GPS and, you know, Google Maps, Apple Maps. You know, maybe you still have, you know, Garmin GPS or whatever. Uh, you ever miss your turn? And the nice lady comes on and she says, recalculating. You ever do that? I had a friend one time, and the voice, I don't know how he did this, but it's so cool. The voice on his GPS was Mr. T. I promise it was. And we were driving somewhere, and I said, hey, miss this turn. I want to see what he does. He missed the turn, and I promise you, Mr. T came on. He said, turn around, sucker. It was awesome. It was so good. I loved it. I think about that every time. I wish there was a version of the Bible, though, that every time some of us read the Old Testament and we thought the Old Testament was all law or a bunch of moral stories, that nice lady would come on and say, recalculating. To help us get back on track, to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. In about the next 15 minutes or so, we're going to go through the entire Bible. Okay, I told you, you got to be caffeinated this morning. We came ready, all right? We walked in ready to go this morning, all right? And we're going to go through the whole Bible using three words. Three words that Paul uses, that, that theologian Scott McKnight uses, that, um, that, that I have always found personally very help me, helpful to help me to understand the Bible. All right? You can really understand the Bible with three words. Here they are, and then we'll dive in. Promise, law, Christ. That's the whole Bible, I promise it is. Promise, law, then Christ. Let's jump in. The first word, first thing Paul talks about is promise. Hopefully you still got your Bible open. Galatians chapter 3 verse 6. Abraham, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. It says this, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Have you ever wondered how people in the Old Testament got saved? You ever, have you ever asked that? Anybody ever asked you that? Can I just answer that question for you? Because Paul answers it right here in this verse. People in the Old Testament got saved same way you got saved, by faith. By faith apart from works. If you really want a way to understand it, this way somebody explained it to me and I've just never forgot it. This is really helpful. We, you and I, we have faith by looking back to the finished work of Jesus. But Abraham and people in the Old Testament looked forward by faith, trusting God's promise that he would send the Messiah. So, so the way that they're saved is the way that we're saved. We look by faith back at what Jesus has done for us, people in the Old Testament are saved by looking forward by faith in the promises from God that God was going to send a Messiah. And so Paul is talking about how Abraham and people in the Old Testament are justified, how they enter the kingdom, how they get saved, all of that, y'all, it's the same thing. And Paul quotes one of the most important passages in the Bible in verse 8 of Galatians 4. In verse 8, Paul begins to quote Paul begins to quote rather Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 3. These verses are on the screen. Let's read these. Genesis 12 1 to 3. The Lord this is God talking to Abraham. The Lord has said to Abram, "Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you." 
I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, everybody look at me. That right there on your screen, that's the promise we're talking about. So our first word is promise. What's the promise? That was the promise. The promise is when God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and God makes this promise that from Abraham, a great nation would come from his line, and all peoples of the earth would bless, would be blessed through the line of Abraham. Now, that line, that great nation that God is talking about, listen to me, that is the people of God. In the Old Testament, that's the Israelites. But did you see in Galatians 3, Paul says that anybody who is in Christ is a part of the seed of Abraham. Did y'all see that? Right? Shake your head because I hope you did. We read it. Right? Right? So what that means is in the Old Testament, the Israelites were the people of God. Now the church is the people of God. And the church hasn't been split off from Israel. The church is more of a completion or a fulfillment of Israel. God doesn't have two people. He has one, and you and I are a part of it. We are the people, we are the line that God promised to Abraham. And listen to me, the reason that all people on earth are going to be blessed through the line of Abraham is because Jesus is going to come through the line of Abraham, and Jesus is going to make all things new. So Jesus is the blessing that's available for all people all over the world. That's the promise. But here's the question. Why did there need to be a promise at all? Well, Paul is taking us back to Genesis 12. You go back a couple chapters before Genesis 12. It's in Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is when everything got broke. Right? If you know your Bible, Genesis 3 is when sin entered the world, God's good creation, instead of humanity wanting God to be their Messiah, we wanted to be our own Messiah, so we chose our way instead of God's. When sin came into the world, sin separated humanity from God, separated us from each other. Sin literally broke creation. Sin impacts every single part of creation. And so in Genesis 3.15, God is laying out these curses. And in 3.15, God says to Adam and Eve, he says that, listen, from this woman, there's going to be someone that, that would come who will crush the head of the serpent that just deceived y'all into thinking you could be your own messiahs. And who is the person who came and ultimately crushes the head of the serpent? Starts with a J, ends with Jesus. Anybody with me? Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus. Y'all are with me. I love it. Jesus is the Messiah through whom God is going to crush the head of the serpent, bring the blessing of the promise, and make all things new. Now, here's the deal. Y'all ever broken a promise? Who, who, who here? My hands are up. Who here ever made a promise and broke it? Some of y'all afraid that? Put your hand up because the person you broke the promise to is right next to you. You know what I'm saying? Right? So, so promise can be like a flimsy word. Man, I mean, promise. I mean, I don't know about all that. Don't sound really. We ain't talking no picky promise. You know what I mean? The word promise is the word that Paul used. Covenant. Can y'all say that with me? Let's all say it together. Covenant. Let's do it one more time. Covenant. Covenant is the word that the Bible means when it talks about the promise. What is a covenant? 
Here's what a covenant is. A covenant is a mutual, agree- a mutual agreement between two parties that involves blessings and requirements for both sides. So when God makes this promise to Abraham, God is making a covenant with Abraham. And a covenant is, is a mutual agreement between two parties, and under no circumstances could a covenant be broken. They would literally make covenants in blood to, as an act to say, to say, if I break this covenant, my own blood will be spilled because I broke this covenant. In, in Genesis 3.17, God makes this covenant with Abraham again, and God takes animals, these birds, and, and the, these animal sacrifices are made. The ha- these birds are cut in half, and the halves of the birds are separated from each other. And Genesis 3.17 says that God goes between these animals. And in Genesis 3.17, the reason that God does that, it is literally God saying, I swear on myself I'm going to keep this covenant. I swear on myself that nobody's going to stop the Messiah from coming, and I am going to fix what's broken. So the, the agreement, the covenant for Israel, they just need to be faithful to God. The majority of the weight of the promise is on God. God's the one's going to send the Messiah. God's the one that's going to fix what's broken. And so what Paul does here, Paul is connecting your salvation, my salvation, all the way back to this promise from Genesis 12. So what that means is our salvation, listen to this, our salvation wasn't a mistake or an afterthought from God. It goes all the way back to this promise from God. And some, listen to this, God never breaks a promise because he is a covenant-keeping God. Somebody said amen. So, so your confidence today as a believer is not in how well you're doing following Jesus. Your confidence, my confidence as a believer, is in the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God who cannot turn his back on his word and what his son has done in our behalf. Are you catching what I'm throwing? Right? Right? So God is the God of the promise. That's our first word. But the second word we need to focus on is the word law. See that Paul talked about the law a lot there, verse 10, Galatians 3, excuse me, for all who rely on the works of the, here it is, law are under the curse. What is the law? Here's what the law is. The law in the Old Testament are the 613 commands given by God through Moses in the first five books of the Bible. See, in the law, you got everything from don't murder, don't worship other gods, Obey your father and mother. You've got laws about what to do with ingrown hairs, literally, in the book of Leviticus. You, you've got laws about, about what to do in, in all kinds of situations. Listen, you can read through the Old Testament law, Exodus, Le- Leviticus, Deuteronomy is where you're going to mainly find it. You can read through that, and you're going to discover that God had laws for everything in life. Do you know why? Look at me, look at me. The reason that God had laws for every area of life is because God cares about every area of your life. Did you know that? Listen, Jesus changes our relationship with the law. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But Jesus calls us to carry the cross. As followers of Jesus, every area of our lives are to be surrendered to Jesus. Hello? Jesus as Lord doesn't mean that you surrender 50% of your life to him and you get the other 50%. Jesus wants to be Lord of 100% of your life. Did you know that? 
Jesus Christ is not interested in being Lord over 80% of your life. He wants 100% of your life. Jesus wants to be Lord over your money, your sexuality, your time, your future, your past. Jesus wants to be Lord over every area of your life. And watch this. The more you surrender to him, the more you begin to experience the life that you long for because more surrender to Jesus equals more freedom. Hello? Right? And so God cares about every area of life. That's why the law covers everything. But here's the problem with the law. The problem with the law in the Old Testament is that the law couldn't save you. No matter how much of it you tried to obey, and you could obey a lot of it, it couldn't save you. That's the curse of the law. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Summit, listen to me. You can keep the Ten Commandments and still not know Jesus. Hello, did you know that? Did did you know that you can go to church every Sunday, be a really good person and not know Jesus? Amen, did you know that? Hello, did you, I feel like maybe some of y'all didn't know this. Did you know that your granddad could have loved Jesus and your mom and dad could have loved Jesus, but that doesn't mean that you know Jesus? Did you know that Christianity is not something you inherit, you got to surrender to it on your own, amen? Right? You, you, you got to embrace it for yourself. Doesn't matter if your friends and your family are in on it, you have to embrace Jesus and surrender to him yourself. You can keep the, t- you can keep the law and the law can't save you. The curse of the law is that the law can't save us. That's why Paul says in Romans 3.20, it's going to be on the screen, that it's through the law we become conscious of our sin. See, a way to think about the law is like this. The law is like a mirror. Who here, by a show of hands, has looked in a mirror in the past six months? Put your hand up. Some of y'all ain't raising your hands. I don't know about it. All right, right? Here's what a mirror does. You know what a mirror does? A mirror shows me, me. That's what a mirror does. A mirror shows me, me. Warts, blemishes, all of it. Pretty ugly no matter what it is. A mirror shows me, me. Look at this. The law of God is like that mirror. The law shows me, me. You, you. What the law shows us is that in light of the holiness of God, we cannot obey enough to save ourselves. Do you understand that? In light of the perfection of God, there are not enough good works that I could do that can save me. That's why if the church of Galatia, if they adopt this idea of Jesus plus circumcision, they are abandoning the gospel because none of your good works save you. That's why if we add anything to Jesus, we don't get anything. Jesus plus anything always equals Nothing. It doesn't matter. You can try to smuggle in your favorite Bible translation. You can try to smuggle in your obedience, your denomination. You can try to smuggle in some act of faith. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. We can't save ourselves. We need a Messiah summit outside of us to come and save us from ourselves. Amen? And that takes us to our last word. Christ. Promise. God makes a promise through this line of Abraham. Abraham was just a sinner like the rest of us. The law revealed to Abraham that he needed a Messiah. But it's through Abraham's line the Messiah is going to come. That's the promise. The law shows us our sin. We can't save ourselves. Even on our best day, y'all, we need a Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Here's our last word, number three, Christ. Hey, look at this. Look at Galatians 
chapter uh, 4, verses 4 to 5. You got your Bible open? Look at this. Here's the whole Bible summed up in two verses. You think this sermon, man, the whole Bible in one sermon. Here's literally the whole Bible in two verses, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the set time had fully come, God, look at this, sent his son, born of a woman. That's Christmas. We all, we all know Christmas, the story of Christmas, right? There's Christmas. God sends his son, born of a woman, born under the law, what we just talked about. Look at this. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. So what that means is that the promise, the law, Abraham, Moses, David, all the Old Testament, all of it points to the day when out of the wilderness, Jesus of Nazareth walks up to John the Baptist in the Jordan River and says, I need to be baptized by you. And John baptizes Jesus. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. Jesus walks out of the Jordan soaking wet and begins a ministry of three years. He perfectly obeys the law, dies on a cross, comes back to life three Three days later because Jesus is the Messiah through whom God is saving the world I don't need to try to save myself when Jesus is God's Messiah did you see that Jesus came to redeem those who was under the law and that's me and that's you and did you see what we get did you see look at this again look at what we get because of the redemption we have in Jesus look at it it's at the end of verse 5 we have received adoption to sonship so Jesus takes our place, and what do we get? Summit, look at me. We get adopted into the family of God. Man, we, get, we become the sons of God. We become the daughters of God. All the rights and the privileges that go along with being a part of God's family are now ours in Christ. I mean, think about earthly adoption for a second. If you adopt a child, if a child is adopted, the second that child is adopted, everything that belongs to that family becomes what? That property of that child's, right? Everything in the kitchen belongs to that child. Everything in the fridge belongs to that child. Everything that family has is now the right and the privilege of that child who's just been adopted. Can I tell you that all of the rights and privileges that go along with being a part of the family of God are ours in Christ? Right now, right now. So much so that did, did you see that the Spirit that descended on Jesus like a dove descended on us and the Holy Spirit inside of every follower of Jesus there at verse 6 cries out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is not just a great band. That word Abba is literally, some of y'all didn't get that. You got you to lean in. You got to lean in. Sometimes they, they come real quick, but you're with, you're with me now. All right. That word Abba it literally means daddy. It's a word of intimacy. It's a word of closeness. It means father and the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are so united to Jesus. Did you know that right now you have closeness, intimacy, connection with the God of the universe? He has adopted you and you belong to him. And here's the deal. Because we've been adopted, now we are heirs. Do you see that? Do you look at verse 7 with me again? I promise we're about done. Look at verse 7, Galatians 4. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're a child, look at this. God has also made you an heir. Do you know what an heir has? An heir has an inheritance. 
When's the last time you thought about your inheritance as a child of God? Well, I feel like we don't talk about this a lot. We got to talk about this more. When's the last time you thought about your inheritance as a child of God? You might be there thinking, man, I don't even know what my inheritance is. What is our inheritance as children of God? Here it is, right here. Our inheritance as children of God is the promise. The promise is our inheritance. The promise that, listen to me, Summit, we are not under the curse of the law. We are not defined by our sin. Look at me. Because of Jesus, we're not trying to work our way to heaven. Because of Jesus, we're not halfway saved. Because of Jesus, we are not hoping that one day we get in. We said this in Revelation. Jesus will bring his sons and daughters all the way in, right? He's never lost a sheep. He knows us by name. He never lets any of his children go. We are an inheritance. We are, we are heirs, rather, of God himself. He is our inheritance. So much so that the Holy Spirit, listen, there's a prayer meeting happening in you right now. The Holy Spirit is crying out. You're sitting there listening to me or on your phone or whatever. The Holy Spirit, though, if you're a follower of Jesus, while you're sitting there is crying out, Abba, Father. And just like an earthly parent, when your kids cry out, they've got your attention, and the reason they have your attention is because they have your heart. Listen to me. As God's children, when we cry out to our Heavenly Father, we have God's attention because in Jesus we have God's heart. And it's not because of me, it's not because of you, not because of anything we have done. Jesus is God's Messiah. It is because of everything that Jesus has done. Let's apply this, bring this home. Here's what this means. Summit, not only do we need to see the Bible through Jesus, we need to see our lives through Jesus. You need to view your entire life through the lens of Jesus and who you are in him. Listen to me, because of Jesus, you are not your struggle. You may have that struggle, but I am telling you, you are moving to a day when that struggle is just going to fall right off of you in the presence of Jesus. Amen? You are not your past. You are not what they said about you. You are literally who God says you are. That is not hype. That is not a Holy Spirit pep rally. That is the gospel. It is the announcement. Jesus is your Messiah. Not only is he going to make all things new, Summit, he is making you new. In fact, you are so new right now that you are a new creation. Right now in the seat. Doesn't he know my past? Doesn't he know my thought life? Doesn't he know my struggle? Yes, he does. And he sees it all and says, that's my son, that's my daughter. Because of the work that Jesus has done for you. See, literally, you need to take verse 7 and get it tattooed on your soul. You, you need to literally take Galatians 4, 7, personalize it, make it a part of your entire life. I don't know if we can put it back on the screen, Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, but you need to personalize this verse. I am no longer a slave, but God's child. And since I am his child, God has made me an heir. Did you know that you can say that about yourself? Not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Amen? No, no, I'm not, listen, let's stop right here if y'all ain't in. Do you know that that's a promise from you, blood-bought by Jesus? You can say that over yourself in the face of the devil this morning, amen? Right? You say, personalize it. I am no longer a slave. Man, I struggle with this. I got some junk, I got some issues, but I'm not a slave to it. Why? Because I'm God's child. And since I'm God's child, watch what God has done for me. God has made me an heir. An heir of what? The promise. 
I'm not a part of something started with me. I've walked into something, literally been going from the foundation of the world when God said, I'm going to make my people in a perfect place, in a perfect world. When we broke it, God said, I'm going to fix this through my Messiah. One day, Jesus is coming back. We're going to look at him with resurrected eyes. And what that means is until we see Jesus with those kind of eyes, we are heirs of the promise. We're not slaves. We're sons and daughters. Do you understand that? you got to preach that to yourself. Because the devil knows the moment you start to believe this, you become dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Here's the deal. Here's the question. We're done. Can you say this about you? Can you? I'm not asking you, could you say it about your grandfather? I'm not asking you, could you say this about your mom, who was your Sunday school teacher? Can you say that Jesus is your Messiah? Because here's the deal. Today, if you give your life to Jesus, if you surrender to Jesus, do you know what you get? Listen, today, if you're not a Christian, if you surrender to Jesus today for the very first time, you get the promise. You get freedom. You get forgiveness. Why? Because you get Jesus. And you say, Mark, listen, I want to do that, but I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. Let me help you out. You will. You're a person. You're a human being. But here's what that means. It means that even when we fall, Jesus says he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, he'll never abandon us. We can confess it to him, get up and move on, because it does not change our status as sons and daughters of God. Listen to me, if you're here today, and if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus as your Messiah, do not leave this room until you surrender to him. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, you didn't want 50%. You didn't die and come back to life for 80%. didn't even die and come back to life for 95%. 100%. And in that is freedom. That doesn't lead to more slavery. That doesn't lead to more bondage. I just keep finding more slavery and bondage when I try to be my own Messiah. But you are the Messiah. And so, Father, I pray that that you would move in our church today and help us to see that, God, we have walked into something that did not start with us and it will not end with us. This has been going on for centuries, the promise. And you are the God of the promise. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to begin to see our whole lives through your lens that we are no longer slaves, but we are heirs. Just with every head bowed, with every eye closed, you might be here today and, and you are a follower of Jesus. You've given your life to him. But what's the part of your life that you tend to see outside of Jesus? Maybe it is the struggle, some kind of sin, some kind of habit or pattern. Maybe it's something that somebody said to you. Maybe it's something that somebody did to you. And or maybe it's just you in general. And you just have a hard time seeing yourself as God sees you. Just right now with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you're a follower of Jesus, would you just make that your prayer today? Maybe your prayer of response is you simply need to begin to pray, Jesus, help me to see my whole life through you. Help me to see my whole life through you. Listen, I'm telling you, seeing your struggle through the lens of Jesus will change the struggle. Seeing your past through the lens of Jesus will change how your past impacts your present. Jesus, help us to see the whole thing through you. But maybe you're hearing you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never surrendered to Jesus as your Messiah. 
Today, would you want to do that? Today, what stops you from Jesus? Say, Mark, listen, I, I'll do it next week. I'll do it tomorrow. Listen, well, you don't know if you get it next week or tomorrow, but you've got this moment right now. Well, Mark, I, I'm afraid I'll, I'll mess up. Well, I can guarantee you that you will. You're a human being, and Jesus loves and saves human beings. He will never leave you, never forsake you. Do not let anything keep you from the love of God that is coming for you right now in this moment. Won't you say yes to him? That's all it takes. Jesus has paid it all. You just simply receive what he's done. And so today, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, this is your moment. Say, Mark, I want to make Jesus the Messiah of my life. If that's you today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And right there where you sit, just pray this prayer with me. Just trying to help you express what might be happening inside of you. These aren't magic words and you're not praying to me. This is between you and the Lord, but I'd love to help you here. If you want to surrender to Jesus as your Messiah today, pray this with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Here's my life. Help me to begin to live it for you. Thank you for everything that you have done for me. Thank you for living for me, dying for me, and coming back from the dead for me. I put my faith in you this morning. 